maybe that idea of what Hawthorne presents about the romance is just what I love about the conference experience. Like why I'm mm. so happy we're all sitting here is like hearing you describe this and knowing that everyone out there is now like jotting down notes or they're like, oh, I need to read it from that kind of lens or, oh, I didn't think about bacteria and post stories or, you know, I'm a Margaret Atwood fan, kind of like Jess's love of Philip K. Dick. I wonder if there's like Handmaid's Tale themes that I can find in Poe. Or, you know, I love the art of dueling. Like, oh, I, you know, never thought like you could do a deep dive, right? These are all deep dives. And I sometimes just wonder, okay, what's next after the presentation? Like why I'm so happy we're here because... Now, is that spooky or what? Well, this episode is called The Haunting of Edgar Allan Poe. So what did you all expect? This is such an exciting episode that you all are about to listen to. I met all of the guests today from the International Edgar Allan Poe Conference. So shout out to the um, Edgar Allan Poe Conference and... To all who organized that, it took place in Boston, which you'll hear about. And I feel like right now with Halloween approaching, being at the Omni Hotel in Boston, Commons area, would be quite spooky. <laughs> um, it has that 1800s history. So uh, a little frightening. You know, maybe there might be some ghosts in the Omni Hotel. Okay, well, before you all hear this exciting, haunting Edgar Allan Poe episode. Just a few ex uh, reminders. There are two live events happening with the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. First, on October 29th at 7 p.m., we have our first ever Halloween party. It is a Halloween literature party happening at Pen & Brush in Chelsea, Manhattan. Uh, so go to our show notes. Um, and you'll see a link to get your tickets. Uh, please come dressed as your favorite literary character, maybe a Poe character, maybe Edgar Allan Poe himself. That'd be fun to have some, you know, representation of Poe at the party. Um, there's going to be book giveaways, merchandise giveaways. We're going to be playing literary games. Food is provided, Halloween cocktails. Um, even there's going to be an art gallery scavenger hunt because it takes... Our party is in an art gallery. Pen and Brush is just such a an empowering space for queer and female artists. Um, can't wait to see you all there. Again, that's October 29th at 7 p.m. And then there is the first ever, yes, first ever Real Housewives Trivia Game Night on Long Island. The first ever Long Island Real Housewives Trivia Game Night. I'm so honored to be hosting it. It's happening in Port Jefferson in my hometown here um, at Burrito, which is a really wonderful restaurant. The vibe's great. The cocktails are great. There's going to be $5 margarita specials and other drink specials. The food is excellent. It is excellent, excellent um, Mexican food. So I can't wait to see you all there. And also I'm hosting it with um, Skin Med Spa. Shout out to Lauren, the owner of Skin Med Spa, where I get my monthly facial treatments um, and also maybe some other treatments, but I'm not going to reveal them to all to you right now. Um, so yeah, 
Uh, that's happening on November 3rd, which is a Thursday at uh, 7 p.m. Also, we like to have our events start at 7 p.m. Um, so there's a link to um, how to register in our show notes for that. Um, so if you're on Long Island, if you're a listener in, on Long Island or New York City and you want to come out to the Real Housewives Trivia Night, um, November 3rd at 7 p.m. at Burrito. Okay, so. Thank you to all of the new listeners. There's been so many new listeners and I appreciate all of you. I love when you uh, message us, direct message us, your feedback, your comments, when you interact with us on social media, it means so much. So thank you all. Um, so please remember to follow us at um, our Instagram and our TikTok at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and on our Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. Uh, so Again, please direct message us. I love responding to all of your feedback. Um, I'm Andrew Rimby, if you don't know, but um, it means so much having started this podcast two years and now like two years and a month. Um, so thank you all for doing that. Also follow Mary's True Crime and Academia Instagram at True Crime and Academia. And she has a Twitter too um, and a TikTok. Um, so Yes, thank you all. I just wanted to, ex you know, express my appreciation. Okay, bye everyone. And here is The Haunting of Edgar Allan Poe. Hi everyone, welcome back to the fall 2022 Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes. It is getting near Halloween and... I'm going to have a suspension of disbelief here because we're in September recording, giving, I always try to give a little behind the scenes here, but pretend it's Halloween and um, it's now fall and everything that you see is Edgar Allan Poe related. So Poe in the background. Yes. <laughs> I have an exciting group of panelists round table we're going to stick with more of a general terminology i'll just call us poe enthusiasts american literature enthusiasts um and we're just literary enthusiasts in general so this is a group i met in april which seems like it was close like not that far away but i can't believe it's almost it's now been six months basically when this comes out so i am here with ashley jess and maria who I befriended, met, we became, I don't know, our own kind of Poe collective at this conference. Um, so we'll talk more about the conference. Um, it's called the International Poe Conference, and it was the fifth international, from what I remember. And we're kind of going to just retrace and take you into the Omni Hotel where this conference happened, which I think in the fall definitely has to be a spooky gothic hotel. Um, I kind of want to be there right now. But um, I just want each of them to introduce themselves. You can hear their voices. That way you can distinguish who's talking. So I'm going to start with Ashley. Just, you know, give the audience a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, I am Ashley Niss, and I'm an assistant professor and writing coordinator at Stevenson University in Owings Mills, Maryland. Um, my 
my specialization, um, originally my dissertation was on um, the Gothic apocalypse <laughs> in the 19th century writing. And I focused on Poe, Hawthorne and uh, Dickinson. These days I'm doing more work with um, within the environmental humanities. So I work a lot with the same authors, mostly Poe these days. Um, but yeah, my scholarship focuses more on um, Poe's treatment of the environment, the more than human, eco-horror, and that kind of thing. Oh, so exciting. Okay, many questions there. But uh, also, Ashley has a really amazing Poe poster. Also, I'm wearing my Poe Takes Boston shirt. So uh, that's a plug to watch our video interview. Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe Patreon. Okay, uh, <laughs> I have to do my publicity. But we also have teasers on our social media of pictures. So Look at these pictures. Okay, so Jess, a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Jess Flaherty. I am a fourth year PhD candidate in literature at the University of New Hampshire. Right now, I'm just about to defend my prospectus. So Ooh. I'm getting my Ooh. dissertation stuff ready to go. And right now, my dissertation is called The Splintered Man, mm. Fracturing and Reforming Masculinities in 20th Century Fiction. Ooh. And um, even though I presented on Poe at the conference, I like to think of him as one of the original splintered men. I like that. Oh, the splintered man. So we have some like eco horror. We have 20th century fiction. So yeah, we're kind of going already outside of traditional quote unquote academia. So we'll get into that. And then Maria, last but not least. Hi, Maria. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Maria Ishikawa. And um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm also a PhD student um, at University of Massachusetts Amherst. Yeah, and right now I'm writing about um, writing my dissertation on the unknowable sounds cool, right? <laughs> whatever that could be. Uh, so by the unknowable, I mean um, things that are kind of suppressed from us, um, from ourselves, or you know, um, a person in front of you um, whom you cannot really understand or you cannot have access to. And um, yeah, so um, apart from the dusty um, world of books, um, 19th century books, I really enjoy um, doing photography. So during the pandemic, I picked up so many hobbies, you know, um, watercolors, camping, <laughs> um, Bollywood dancing, everything. Um, but photography was the only one um, stuck with me <laughs> through the pandemic. So yeah, that's well, that's what I do. And Maria took amazing photos of the Poe conference. I just remember, do you remember Maria? We were like, Somewhere in historic Boston, like, I oh, know, I know, yeah. we were like jumping at the Poe statue. That oh, sculpture. right, right, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like now <laughs> it was spring. It was a little chilly, I remember. It was very chilly. Yeah, yeah you're was... right, very chilly. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but I do imagine like now the leaves have turned crisp. Mm -hmm. It's just so scenic. I mean, the Northeast in the fall, I love it. This is why I do love California, but I couldn't see myself there. Because you don't get that change of season. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, so back to just um, the conference itself. Did you, you know, did you think you would be going to an author-only conference? So like for everyone out there, this was an Edgar Allan Poe-specific conference. And sometimes as literary scholars and other disciplines have this too, like we would have a, the Modern Language Association is like our biggest 
conference or the Northeast Modern Language Association. And then every uh, American area has their own MLA breakdown. So like we would be encountering all authors, all periods, more theories. But here it was everything had to be at least centered on Poe or not. I don't know. Do we think did how did that um, break maybe affirm your expectations of a Poe only conference or did it break your expectations? So I'll just, you know, go around anyone who wants to start off with that. Ashley's got the Poe poster, so you should go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was not my first single author conference, but it's been a while since I went to a single author conference. The other one I did was Hawthorne. Um, and in some ways, I mean, reflecting back on it, I thought it it's really nice to be able to like geek out with fellow Poe nerds about like this one author and we've like, everybody's read the entire corpus and the letters and the reviews and all the things. Um, and that's really nice. But <laughs> I also, um, I find it, it's not practical for young scholars to specialize in that way anymore. We. Mm -hmm are all like multiple author dissertations. Um, we have to, you know, we're, we're bringing in, you know, multiple multiple kinds of like interdisciplinary theory um, into our dissertations often. Intersectionalism. Um, yeah, and our in our scholarly works. And so, you know, in, in I'm, I'm sort of torn, like on one hand, this was a really fun geeky thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean geeky in the best way possible. On the other hand, it felt a little impractical. Um, not that I didn't learn a ton and networked and did all the fun things that you do at conferences, but yeah, I, I would love to specialize in just poets, just not a practical option anymore in, in academia for young folks. No, I love that. And like, um, I then in June went to a queer studies conference and it was like that complete opposite experience where mm -hmm. it was not like I was only one of a few literary scholars. Um, and I was talking about uh, Whitman and Wilde and uh, the definition of homosexuality and how it came in Victorian sexology um, with John Addington Simmons. But it was very exciting because there was like social media influencers that do queer art. There was a lot of public humanities, um, sociologists, anthropologists, historians. And I feel like here, almost everyone was literary based or at least expected that you would have trained as a literary scholar. And I guess the ones who I gravitated towards though was like the Poe Museum and like the actual Poe organizations um, that are more public facing. So they existed there, but I'm kind of curious, do we, do you think that the public was addressed a lot in the conference or was a kind of, sequestered to the side yeah this i've also done like actually one other um author specific conference uh and that was philip k dick who is uh who i presented on i, I compared edgar Allan poe and philip k dick and i met one other philip k dick guy at the conference which was great he was the only one because everyone else seemed to know so much about poe it was almost like they were competing in the poe olympics right where there were there were people who not only knew where Poe was like every single month of his life, but really down to the day, like they could like tell you the whole timeline of Poe's whole life. And um, for me, that's just like a little too much Poe. So, 
But I think we're talking about he is the Poe encyclopedia, Jeffrey Savoy. Um, and I respected, and I think we could talk about that. So I know Ashley, we had gotten into a conversation. Um, this is also the audience an exercise in like uh psychoanalysis of like trying to trace back to the moments. But um, I remember talking to you about that Hawthorne experience of that conference you went to. And um, like you said, the post scholars, it was a very much more comfortable feeling. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I remember you kind of touching upon that. Yeah, like I think that the the post scholars were extremely welcoming um, and very friendly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was also like an exercise in um, like my dissertation bibliography. It's like dissertation bibliography bingo, like, oh, there's Jeffrey Savoy. And, you know, like you can just like check, check. Like These are all these people that <laughs> I've been reading forever. Um, and And they were very, even like the famous people were very welcoming and kind. And and I have to say at the Hawthorne conference, I was a much younger less confident scholar. <laughs> um, and I, I was not confident about that chapter, the Hawthorne chapter in my dissertation. Um, and so I think that part of, you know, the difference in my experience there was, was a lot of just, it had to do with my own confidence level. Um, and it just, yeah, it was just, just a very different sort of flavor. Um, I, I do think that the Poe folks really did a good job of making everybody feel like they, like they belonged. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, Maria, like, did you, was this your first author specific conference? Well, um, actually, I, I've been to another one, which is um, Emily Dickinson International Society. Um, yeah, I, I am a fan of that <laughs> conference. Um, it, it's really um, tiny, I think, compared to Poe. Um, I don't know. But it's really um, like, family size, <laughs> if I can call it, um, in a small size conference, and it takes place in um, Amherst, of course, and it, you know, entails um, tours to Emily Dickinson's house and uh, everything. So it's actually similar to Poe conference, and I really love that. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of agree with, um, all the points already raised, like um, in terms of practicality, um, like author, single author conference is not really what we can kind of um, take something um, that is really implementable in our dissertation or book, um, you know, writing. Um, I think, but one of the things I like about this tiny one single um, author conference is that um, I think I feel like we can see um, how different kinds of lenses or methodologies could be applied to one text or one person. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a showcase for that kind of um, activities or like the yeah possibilities. And um, I saw um, some somebody talking about like fungus. Um, yeah, in, that's you know, Ashley's oh, mushroom. Oh, that was Ashley. Oh my god, Ashley's, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I loved it. Sorry, I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> Poe and Fungus, yeah. like Yes, yes, right? Usher. And somebody's, yeah. Mm -hmm. somebody's oh, with about Usher and the bacteria, okay. Oh, right, 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 yes, yes. 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 Yeah. I, it. I totally like, agree yeah. with, 
yeah, I totally agree with Maria. It's almost like looking at like a prism or a crystal yes. with all these mm -hmm. different, like every single theory you can imagine is being applied to one person. I know, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and every single part is kind of speaking to each other too in the, in the space. That's like really cool thing to um, happen and see. Yeah, yeah, no, and you're right. It's like just you're kind of doing a lot of reception type work or thematic work, like how authors speak to each other. I remember my undergrad professor, John Colin Gruzer, was doing Stephen King and Poe. So like, definitely, I think there was a lot of reception studies, which is just mm -hmm. how authors receive each other for the public out there. Uh, yeah. I don't want to use a lot of terminology, but, um, you know, like even Ashley with eco-criticism, um, mm -hmm. right? Like, how would you explain that? Like that type of work <laughs> to the public? <laughs> Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, eco-criticism is just looking at the intersection between like the environmental humanities and and literature. And um, so it's it's incredibly interdisciplinary. I, in my own work, and I, I focus on horror, so eco-horror is like my niche, um, but I'm bringing in, like I was going through and reading scientific, like legit scientific articles that I understand like 50% of, uh, but their introductions and their abstracts are real helpful. Um, <laughs> but I'm bringing in like biology um, articles about plant sentience, um, which is like an actual rigorous, field of study. Um, it's not just woo-woo. Um, and so I was looking at that and applying some of those ideas to what I believe Poe is anticipating about um, plant sentience. And, and, and just in 19th century thought, there were, there were ideas about plant sentience um, and agency and awareness and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I was applying bio biological um, works scholarship to Poe. Um, but there's lots of different things that you can do in eco-criticism. Um, I mean, anybody who studies Thoreau and, you know, transcendentalism or Emerson and their conceptions of nature, um, they're actually getting a lot of criticism these days for being ecophilic instead. And, you know, in eco-horror, it's all about like ecophobic, um, like fear of nature. Okay. But yeah, with Hawthorne or not Hawthorne, but with Emerson and Thoreau, it's more like this vampiric love, like taking advantage of or exploiting nature with a capital N. Um, so I don't know, like that's like a super like surface level, just like dipping your toe in <laughs> into yeah. eco-criticism. Um, but those are some examples. But I love what you did with The Fall of the House of Usher. Like even everyone who reads The Fall of the House of Usher, which if you haven't read it or listened to it, there's some amazing free audiobooks um, on Audible, search Poe. Um, and just the tarn and like what's this atmospheric gas like is it actually poisonous gas is is the narrator hallucinating right because of the gas it kind of reminds me of like the ancient greek oracle like the sibyl who apparently was like ingesting gas and that's why she could foretell the wars um with even um like the trojan war um that happens with Homer, but you know, so I love that. Like, Ashley, you can bring, like you brought that to bear. And then like Jess, like you were talking, can you speak more about what you were doing with Philip K. Dick and Poe? Yeah. My paper was titled haunted by a dead woman. And it was comparing how both authors use a lot of like dead or dying female characters in their works. And uh, I did, like a mixture of feminist theory and masculinity theory sort of talking about how during the time of Poe's life 
the the dying woman figure was very common right because of uh the time period in which you know women would have diseases that they didn't know how to cure and they would die and you know poe had several tragic losses in his life and so he turned those into a sort of a commercialization right because society there's as he's uh quoted as saying there's nothing more poetic than a dying beautiful woman mm. um and we see that sort of continued into the modern day with the slasher movie right where the the young teenage girl is also similarly killed so it's interesting to see that he sort of anticipated that in the 1840s yeah well and um even like a figure like marilyn monroe i mean we're about to or actually we've had the movie blonde come out on netflix and i feel like this tragic woman the artist um you know you're right jess it's so, but again this is so interesting that you brought that to bear and i'm like thinking of shirley jackson and mm-hmm. i want to rewatch the haunting of hill house i thought that was an amazing series um you know and i need to get through her novel but i was obsessed with what they did with the new series if you haven't seen it okay it seems like a few of you have seen it um i don't know that reflection on grief and the flashbacks and the hallucinations i don't know i've never seen something as gothic done in such a psychological way but oh i love halloween okay. it's october <laughs> i know i just love i'm just such a gothic even you know for those of you out, out there my iced coffee i'm drinking has all of the slasher figures um <laughs> some i like more than others um i am a fan of Ghostface from scream but there's a lot of controversy over the new scream we don't have to talk about that <laughs> um I think they should have just stopped where they were. But um, <laughs> uh, so, Maria, can you just remind us again, like, how are you approaching Poe in your presentation when you were um, at the conference? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I presented about um, Poe's short story on dueling, um, practice of dueling, you know, and um, and about um, the books called called Duello. It's an etiquette book for like honorable ways of um, dueling, which were very popular um, in the 18th and 19th century, even in the US, not only in Europe. And um, yeah, so I've been really interested in um, Poe's interest in how um, a sense of mystery could be created by, um, you know, so he's really interested in the mechanism of um mysteries what and he calls it like mystification and that's the title of the um, short story but he kind of digs into for example like how um con artist tricks um people on the street you know and um kind of tricks um, them into believing in something that is not true and this um, story, mystification, is um, part of his kind of whole project about how mystery could be created or how something unknowable could be created by certain you know, methodologies or strategies. So I talked about that. Um, I just really liked um, <laughs> the, the code duello, the idea itself. It's so hilarious, you know, how to um, how to hold your sword and how to, um, you know, hold your handkerchief or whatever. Um, yeah, so that's that's how I kind of talked about Poe. Yeah, and it's so interesting, like, when you honed in on that. I mean, I'm even thinking of Hamlet and, like, the, like, how far back that dueling um, with, 
um, Hamlet and oh my, is it Horatio? Who he's dueling? I don't know. I'm not. We're uh, we're not a Shakespeare I don't do right Sha- now. I'm sorry. But, um, I don't do Shakespeare. It's I okay. <laughs> I will. It's okay. Anyone, everyone out there who like is such. I teach Hamlet, but I haven't like refreshed my mind on it in a while. You um, call they're probably screaming. Scholars. I know oh. they're like, no, that's maybe it's Laertes. I don't know. That sounds more right. Okay, that know. sounds more right. <laughs> Okay, well, whoever it is, I'm just mentioning characters now from Hamlet, but um, like dueling is such a central theme there, and like the poisonous sword that happens with Hamlet. Um, yeah, but I, like Alexander Hamilton. You know, Alexander history, Hamilton. Huge, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, but like to think about that history and how Poe is using it. I mean, even when we turn to Poe's philosophy of composition, like what he's presenting of you know how the art of writing and um it it's what i love about hawthorne too like i always remember mm. his definition of the romance right right like yeah. how it's both real and unreal and i think he kind of says it's this liminal like in between space actual and imagined i think that's the wording but uh back to my c- comprehensive exams everyone um but <laughs> But again, like this is the way maybe that idea of what Hawthorne presents about the romance is just what I love about the conference experience. Like why I'm so happy we're all sitting here is like hearing you describe this and knowing that everyone out there is now like jotting down notes or they're like, oh, I need to read it from that kind of lens or, oh, I didn't think about bacteria and post stories or, you know, I'm a Margaret Atwood fan, kind of like Jess's love of Philip K. Dick. I wonder if there's like Handmaid's Tale themes that I can find in Poe or, you know, I love the art of dueling. Like, oh, I, you know, never thought like you could do a deep dive, right? These are all deep dives. And I sometimes just wonder, okay, what's next after the presentation? Like why I'm so happy we're here because, okay, hold on to that question because we'll be right back. But first a word from our sponsor. The Ivory Tower Boiler Room is so happy to welcome Broadview Press as our official sponsor. Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities, mainly in English studies, writing, philosophy, and history, They always publish with an eye towards diversity, so there is a strong list of titles from women, people of color, and other authors from marginalized groups. In the summer of 2022, they launched their new Broadview anthology of American literature, which increases diversity in the classroom because it rethinks the American canon and breathes new life into the American literary survey. It's actually been called, quote, the new gold standard in the field. I love using Broadview Press text in my own classroom at Stony Brook University. I can't wait to use the new anthology of American literature when I have the opportunity. And for all of you out there, Broadview Press has given us the official code, Ivory Tower, for 20% off site-wide on broadviewpress.com. Again, that is code Ivory Tower for 20% off. 
Hi, it's Mary from True Crime and Academia. You're like me. You love personalized merch and you love shopping local. So here is one of my favorite local vendors to buy from. It's Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. My friend Mandy makes the most incredible personalized crochet goods and decor for your home. Spooky season is coming up. She has some of the coolest Halloween designs. So go follow her on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. Again, that's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. And place your order with her today. I always don't want it to end. Like I want there to be a repository, an yeah. archive of sorts. And I'm there's like, a, there's a little bit of melancholy the last morning of the conference, right? You're eating your last croissant and you're like, yes, oh, it's always a oh, croissant. It's, yeah. It's like camp coming to an end in a certain sense. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've told other people that conferences are like camp for adults. That's true. That's <laughs> good analogy. Um, yeah, but it's... I think we should. Talk... Oh, sorry. No, go, Maria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. I, um, speaking of cross fun or coffee at the conference, I think we should talk about how the conference is organized. I mean, yes. um, in terms of space or like, yes, you know, please. Well, what kind of schedule, right? Um, I mean, no, go for know. it. Yeah. So, how was the? How are these days scheduled <laughs> for everyone? You know, who's never been to a conference or even what a literature conference is. Yeah, mm. the schedule is so important and it's really, it can be very intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So should like, I go? What, no, go. Yeah. What was, the, you know, no, what, no, no, no. how mean, would you, how would you take us through a day of a conference, Maria? Okay. It's hard. I mean, I, I just want to talk um, about the space. Okay. Um, okay. Because, you know, the, the, <laughs> Okay, I'll take, yeah, I'll take us yeah, through the day. I'll take us through the day and I'll end at the space. A day in the life of Andrew's conference. Yeah, the day in the life. Well, I would say first, it's like any conference. Like, are you committing to, um, how much are you committing to attending these panels, right? And panels are like where we presented our papers. And I use paper loosely because like everyone presents in a different way. So I'll say where we just present. Um, and we can talk about how we present because that's another aspect that's changed. And I think especially in our current moment. Um, but okay, so you get a you get the program and it's kind of like a playbill, except we have each day, say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Monday, like, okay, we have our, our reception at night. Um, Tuesday, we then start the actual day of the conference. And it usually starts at nine in the morning. Um, so it's early. <laughs> I mean, I always think nine is early. Um, but then usually there's about three back-to-back -back panels. Um, and then there's like a lunch break. And then you come back again. And then sometimes there's a dinner at night. But a lot of the times it's just up to you to do what you want at like the late evening. I don't know. Did I explain that? I think that's like a usual day. Um, and maybe there's two days of that kind of schedule. And sometimes there's three days of that schedule, depending on how, um, you know, intense the conference is or like how long, like how many people are there. Um, right. A modern language association conference could be like three to four days. 
I think this was two to three no three days it was it was friday saturday sunday friday saturday sunday thank you yeah and we had like an evening reception to meet um and then we actually had a dinner which isn't common and something i loved was that we actually all got to sit in a ballroom and that's actually how we all came to be together because we sat at the same table for dinner yeah, um, I I will yeah. add, Andrew, that this was the fanciest and also most expensive conference I've ever done. Right? Camp, conferences usually cost you like 150, 200 bucks, and this one was was that like 350 or 400 or something. But wow, it was a five star dinner with a little taste of a Montiato at the end. That was yeah. very special. And I forget were we all staying? No, we weren't all staying at the Omni. I mean, I was at the Omni Hotel in Boston. Mm-hmm. Ashley was there. I think Maria, you were like in an Airbnb. Is yeah. That right. Yeah. Okay. Because I was walking with Maria. <laughs> I missed that. We got, yeah, we had like an amazing <laughs> Tex-Mex meal that I will always remember from those margaritas. But um, yeah. yeah, my um, grad, my graduate student budget had me in the classiest hostel of Boston. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I was lucky because I did get some money from the university. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get money from the university, I mean, shout out to the Omni. I loved it. It's a great hotel. They had a good gym too, it's but gorgeous. um, but it was you know not cheap. It's not a cheap hotel, especially that mm-hmm. area of Boston. So, it's right in near Back Bay, but it's not Back Bay. It's like mm, a Market, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's like downtown, his, yeah. downtown historic Boston. Yeah, mm-hmm. like where all of the um, American Revolutionary tours are. <laughs> we the were in the trail. Yes, the Freedom Trail. Thank you. Um, but yeah, the space itself. Okay, Maria. So like, what did the actual like conference space? We were in the hotel, but we were actually in a ball. We were in like the ballroom area. Yeah, that's true. Um, so a po conference, do we use like several stories or just one floor, the big floor? I, I thought maybe it was just one floor, but there are so many like, fancy um conference rooms on the floor and those sessions that um andrew just explained um happened like kind of concurrently so there are so many sessions happening in the same time slot and there's some there'll be some um conflict between which one do you want to go <laughs> you know and you have like several uh, ones in your list and oh this poem fungus this is amazing and oh this is poem nebula I went to go, but sometimes you cannot go um, both. Um, so, but some people just kind of um, stroll <laughs> um, around the floor between several rooms and kind of um, pick what they want. That's one style. Um, or some people just stay in one room and just um, hear the whole session. And outside of those conference rooms, um, there'll be like, how do you say cafe booth i don't know <laughs> like coffee and pastries and cookies and everything and this po conference was the fanciest um had fanciest board i've ever seen at any conference it was really cool croissant and um cupcakes and what what else there's so oh, yeah we had like mini cakes oh no yeah, it was yeah. delicious oh yeah no it was delicious. The, the food <laughs> the price matched the food I mean, mm-hmm. I will definitely say Indeed. that. Um, yeah. And there was also an amazing merchandise room right. with like all the Poe 
organizations. Yeah. I was just going to like, I feel like one of the things that we kind of are, are hinting at a little bit, but not like fully fleshing yeah. out is like the expense of these conferences for like mm. the, the scholars. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's like this, like we are, we are as academics, we are expected to participate in conferences. Like this is an important, like, I mean, once you get a job, I mean, this is part of like promotion, um, mm -hmm. like required for promotion that you're participating in academic conferences and, and you know, submitting publications, um, getting your work actually published and that sort of thing. And sometimes it's paid for, like I can, I mean, I, this conference for me was mostly, not entirely, but mostly paid for by my university. Mm. Um, but that becomes tricky with grad students. Um, mm -hmm. Not yes. a lot of funding for grad yes. students. <laughs> and it's still something that grad students are expected to do. And so, you know, this can be like a real, it's gonna be like a real problem. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but like you to, said, it's a networking. It's yeah. what gets us in conversation with these scholars. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just, well, <laughs> no it's, it's just, good, Ashley. Yeah. Is, it's just really tough to make it happen. And it's the, right. It's, we're talking about um, funding and equity in a way of mm -hmm. social class. Like those who have more means as grad students are going to get more benefits of networking. And that's mm -hmm. not right. It's not fair, um, but it's like why spaces like this, in my opinion, or even just like coming, having a longevity after the conference is so important. And I know when we were all having our meals at dinner, like this topic of um, uh, especially thinking about grad students at the conference, but even though Ashley, you know, is an associate professor, um, assistant, assistant, sorry. <laughs> Assistant. Okay. Yeah. For we'll those of you out there, there's a little difference, um, <laughs> but an assistant professor. Okay. Soon to be an associate in like, you know, well, she will be an associate. We're manifesting yes. it. Okay. Um, but I'll have you back on when you have your book, Ashley, don't worry. Um, no pressure, no pressure. Um, but I think that I was so curious when we like all were giving our opinions on like grad students presence at this conference, but even like, mm -hmm. should there have been a grad student panel? Should there have been like a, even um, how do we talk to Poe like outside of academia? Like, and that's something that happened, is happening more at other conferences I've been to, which is like bringing in like journalists who are interested in these topics or even like podcasters or mm -hmm. social media people who cover these ideas. Um, and I will say like, I would have loved to see like more of a public scholar panel or even just thinking about a mixer. Like it didn't even have to be formal. Like I, I think we all said, oh, it would have been so nice if there was just like a mixer where people could just like mm -hmm. open up about these ideas. So yeah, I don't know. Does anyone want to weigh in on that? Um, sure. Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead, Maria. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll just say briefly that there was a rooftop um, hangout session mm -hmm. that I attended, and I got to talk to I think one or I I don't remember his name, but he was the other scholar who wasn't yet in his forties plus. Like there were there were only a handful of younger scholars at this conference. It was very much the old guard. And, you know, that makes sense because Poe is very old school and there's people who've devoted his whole life to him. So um, I think for them, it was more of like getting to see their buddies again 
whereas us young folks had the band together, which Andrews then brought us back together for the podcast. So thank you, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to add on to that. Um, thank you, Andrew, because um, I think we just met by luck. Um, I feel like because, you know, there are mixer, there are um, dinners and also reception like with drinks but um we we never um be able to know um who, who's who you know <laughs> is this a grad student or is this a professor um you know so i just i just um started talking to andrew because we were just standing next to each other or something right in this same area uh, but otherwise i would not be able to spot any um scholars in my on stage, I mean, academically. Um, and I think it's really important for us to connect with other um, PhD students or MA students who are working on um, our own project. So yeah, I, I think I, I'll second that. I, I thought um, maybe we could have um, like grad student breakfast oh. or like breakfast uh, or grad student tea time or oh, something like between that. sessions, you know? Some big conferences have those um, to for the for the students to connect with each other. So just like preparing some one room for grad students and like and have good pastries and coffee and then we, we go, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And I well, I'm not sure if the three of you know, but I actually put my presentation on okay, so for all of you out there, I was talking about um the fall of the house of usher which is why i'm like honing in on the fall of the house of usher i love poe's other stories especially the mask of the red death that's actually mm, one of my favorites good one, um yeah. but i really was interested in how like freud pathologizes homosexuality what does that do if we look at freudian language in the fall of the house of usher like and actually see the narrator and roderick almost as narcissistic mirrors of each other um that they're um post discussing homosexuality without that concept being around and like narcissism is a good way to get at that from freudian um language okay so that's what i talked about but um that was like a very short paraphrasing um and i actually put it up on youtube because we have an archive of videos but it's really only accessed by you know those of us who have this port this um i don't know how you would describe it website that hosts all the videos um but i got permission thank you amy shout out to amy out there she was amazing as one of the co-organizers and um let me put it on youtube which is not common from a conference to actually be able to put out your presentation but um you know, I think something like that is actually a really good model. And I'm like, oh, maybe in a way conference presentations can eventually be like TED Talks where they exist, like they're filmed and then they eventually can exist for the public um, mm -hmm. on YouTube. And I don't know, do you think there's concern from the, we call them the old guard, but uh, do you think there's concern from like having that much exposure of presentations or having like that much available to the public? Do you think there's hesitations around that?
And now, a message from the Gay and Lesbian Review. Hello, listeners. This is Stephen Hemrick, the publisher of the GNLR, here with a special offer just for you. For those of you who aren't familiar with the GNLR, let me provide a little background. The GLR is a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features such as artists' profiles and the popular art memo column. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme and brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, though you might find articles about online dating as a social phenomenon or the gay influence on 20th century fashion. For example, the theme of the current issue is Queens and Kings, and it features an article by Andrew Holleran about Truman Capote's relationships with glamorous women, the woman he called his swans. Now for the special offer. When you subscribe, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. That's seven issues instead of six. Visit GLReview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot O-R-G. Click subscribe and enter promo code I-T-B-R for your free issue. And as an added bonus, you'll receive online access to all archive issues of the magazine. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I think it's just not how it's been done. It's more like, this is not what we do. And I, I mean, I don't know if there's, if there's some reason, I mean, like, it's like journal articles, right. That are behind the firewall and cost like, you know, $25,000 to have a subscription mm-hmm. from your library. Right. So no mm-hmm. individual can ever have that. Um, and, you know, in those cases, these, these journals are the ones to benefit from that kind of like hoarding of resources, which is what I'm going to call that. <laughs> uh, but I love what you're saying that like for conferences, it just, this is not published work. Nobody owns it yet. So it seems like giving young scholars and older scholars um, that kind of publicity, assuming it went well, <laughs> that just seems, it just seems like that is a necessary um, evolution of conferences. And if, if the old guard had any problem with it, it I think it would just be an, a matter of like tradition, not mm-hmm. I don't know that there's like a good reason not to publish those online. Yeah. Yeah. I'll second, I'll second Ashley there just because, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of conferences go virtual, right. With the pandemic. And so Mm -hmm. now that we have all this technology fully integrated, it's much easier to get all those things online. That being said, I feel like my paper delivery was still kind of rough. So I don't think I would want it to live on YouTube. I'm still working (laughs) on that paper, but I, I think totally, the, yeah, I totally yeah. agree with you. Like when I do conference papers, this is sort of like going back to something earlier that Andrew said. Oh yeah, like, how do we deliver that? I legit like type it out and I read it because my memory's terrible. And if you put me on the spot, I will forget like every smart thing I ever knew like leaves my brain. And so 
I, I write it out and I read it and it's not necessarily great delivery, but I, I'm like, okay, I can just like write on the content. Like, <laughs> that's a traditional, but like, that is a way that a lot of, um, literary papers are delivered is literally having a paper almost like, right. You're working from what you're going to revise. Cause eventually, and I'll ask each of you, like, where do you think what you like, what you presented on, does it have a future and it doesn't have to, but like where has it kind of entered into another phase of your work? But um, right. So Ashley read it fully, like the paper. Um, I have an outline I work from and I always do this now where I have like my PowerPoint and then I have notes of my PowerPoint to lead me in bulleted sections. I have quotes pulled out. I think a few of you are at my presentation, but like, I like to address the audience a lot. Um, but I also have a background in theater, which helps. Um, but yeah, so I don't memorize my whole paper. I just, you know, I go from my outline and then I forget Maria and Jess, what did you both do for your presentation when you delivered it? I, yeah, I um, um, use slides, PowerPoint slides, and then, but I, I agree with Ashley, I write up everything. I mean, um, I might not look at it, but it's, it's really helpful <laughs> to know that I have everything there. So, um, but which means I, I need to practice, right, Re rehearse before actually presenting because Otherwise, I'll just look so, I don't know, flat or like boring, just reading aloud. Um, so it's a lot of preparation, I think, um, yes. just to just to go up there and um, talk to all the experts. Very intimidating. And we cannot expect what kind of questions um, from what direction um, coming from who, you know, what scholars and among them, there will be like um, the, the scholars, like very famous, very established, um, or like or you, you're just fan of, um, mm -hmm. and whose books you just read so many times and loved it, and you feel really nervous, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, well, just for like, because we have a lot of theater listeners out there, it would kind mm -hmm. of be like we're all performing a yes. Broadway musical that's not premiered yet. And everyone in the audience is all Broadway actors and actresses, yeah, like which happens, but yeah. right. You're like, oh my goodness. Like, um, you know, I'm performing, um, for, with my, I'm performing for my peers. And I think, yeah, that does up the ante. Right. And I kind of wonder if the audience was like strangers, would we feel like I've delivered lectures at libraries and it's it's a different energy because I'm like, oh, they are just eager to learn about what is the fall of the House of Usher. Cause like you're you're assuming that they don't have as much, you know, close reading analysis. Um Yeah, but, I think I yeah. think it's harder, Andrew, to deliver at a conference like the Poe Conference, because I've I've uh presented at WorldCon to an absolutely which is the world science fiction convention and Ooh. it was like 250 people or something in the room talking about philip mm -hmm. k dick and it, the energy is just electric in there and uh, the poe conference i think i had like six people in my audience and <laughs> you can just feel like yeah, and they're yeah. all dialed into you and like some of them are super poe experts and it's man i'm gonna quote from the wrong biography i'm i'm using quinn instead of hobson and oh no no 
you know, Hobson's in and Quinn is out, you know, and like, I don't know the, the meta of the current post scholarship. So it's more intimidating. <laughs> well, you're right. Yeah. The number of the audience, sometimes I actually think when there's such a large audience, it is more calming because of you have more um, points to focus and like people's reactions. Also, I have to say the audience was wearing masks when we pr were presenting. We weren't. Well, you could choose if you were or not. I wasn't wearing a mask when I presented, but like everyone in the audience was wearing a mask. And yeah, that can also be tough to judge um, how they're you're like kind of looking at eyes and just hoping, OK, I hope this is registering with enthusiasm. Uh, but OK, as we're like wrapping up, which I told this group when I hit the record button, it goes so fast. But I think, OK, we kind of hit the present. Oh, Jess, how do you deliver your presentations? Do you read like the um, paper or yeah i prefer to use powerpoints when i can like i remember you had your powerpoint i could see vincent price right in the fall house usher and that was like super helpful for me for your talk and so i usually try to do that but for this conference i had learned that poe famously wrote on really long scrolls and then he would like oh, yeah. dramatically furl out the scroll before he read and so i took my paper and i printed it out and i taped it all together so yes. i could have a big long scroll and Nobody said anything. I think, no, I don't know if anyone else knew that. They just looked at me like I was kind of, you know, a nut job. And I, I think I got a little bit more Poe in me because of that. So, no, no, Jess definitely had a flair when he delivered his. I was there in the audience. And like, I just remember the smack when all the papers fell onto the, like, literally the whole scroll, you know was unraveling and I loved it. No, Thank it was great. You, it was it was a I, good performance. Someone noticed. Thank you. Yeah, well I know <laughs> I noticed all performance aspects. I love, you know, high performance. Okay. And I like campiness and that was campy, which was fun. But again, I think I would say this was a it was a conference where there were so many different styles, in my opinion, of how mm. people delivered presentations. And I remember like it was a very encouraging QA. Like never because sometimes I think there's a fear of like the zingers of like, I got you, um, you know, like, I don't remember that happening. Cause I do think, you know, it's so self-selecting on who wants to be there. And so there's an excitement in that. And there are people I still keep in touch with, you know, those gathered here, but also others who I still talk to. And I think you are part of that community. So that's something that I don't feel like when I go to the MLA. Oh, we can get into that in another because it's tough. Yeah, when very you have like, very cordial group yeah. of people. Very yeah, friendly. yes. I think when you have more than like five hundred, it's you know you don't have dinners, <laughs> you don't even have like tea times. Um, so, but I think to end, um, I know Jess wanted to do some hot takes, um, but I think I'll go there, and I think because of Poe. You know, we kind of have to get a little spooky and atmospheric in our hot takes. So I guess just like, what are you left with in terms of like, will you go to the Poe conference again when it's offered? A, um, I guess that's our academic hot take. Uh, <laughs> you know, we are literary academics here. So our hot takes are not going to be as <laughs> we could try to do zingers. But, um, you know, so that's. Are you going to go again? And also, you know, what do you hope to get out of 
the Poe conference or your next conference that, you know, might not have existed in our experience. Okay. So I've laid out the hot takes. Um, I think I'll go with Jess because this was his idea to do hot takes. (laughs) Okay. I'll do, I'll do my hot take. Um, one of your questions, uh, Andrew, that you asked us was something about like, what are you, uh, what do you wish had happened afterwards? And I, I wrote down, I wish I w- there was like a turn in box where I could just turn in my paper like it was a classroom and be like, okay, can this go to a Poe journal now? Um, yeah. And uh, I guess my hot take is I realize that um, specifically, I think Poe scholars and maybe other scholars are like this for, with one author scholars, there's a certain kind of raw, raw, raw aspect to them. And in my paper, I'm kind of critical of Poe. I'm like, listen, Poe was, you know, he did a lot of things that were kind of questionable, not Longfellow war, notwithstanding. Right. And so I kind of realized that I'm not going to be able to publish my paper in any kind of a Poe journal, like maybe a media studies journal might take it or a feminist studies journal might take it. But that was my hot take because I realized that my paper is not terribly Poe friendly. Yeah. Well, and I see this with Whitman conferences. Like I've gone to week a week long Whitman conference twice and it's a full week of all day seminars, which is amazing. But at the same time, there is almost like cheering for your football team, like the, you know, the Poe team, the Whitman team, but it's true. Like let's put cracks like let's that's not the right phrase <laughs> that's not the right sort of phrase you know let's poke holes into you know these figures like there are flaws and i think we should not just see them as martyrs and i agree yeah okay interesting jess i like that and i think a lot of those who are listening who are po fans out there would agree with us i would assume but hey if you want to send any uh negative mail please send it to jess uh, clarity's account. Thank you. Yeah, yeah send it over. <laughs> okay, who's ready for their hot take? I'm still forming mine. I don't know that I have like a hot take. Um, but like I, like would I go again? Sure. Um, it was really fun, and um, I I met cool people, and um, you know, I I will say I I wish there had been. More like to sort so, so some of your other points. Like I wish there had been a little bit more mentoring for young scholars. Like, you know, the the old guard was like they all they've known each other their whole lives, and so they're there to see each other because they're buddies. Bring us along with you because we're the future <laughs> of the scholarship. Um. So yeah, like I would go again if it was convenient. Like a friend of mine roped me into doing this and being on the panel. Um. And so that's like how I ended up there in the first place. Um but I would probably have to be like roped in again and and like have somebody like tell me this is the panel that you will present on and now make a paper. Um, and I don't know, is that like what? Do, I feel yeah, like no, that. that's okay. good. Anything you want to okay. offer, Ashley, I'm not going <laughs> to. But yeah, I agree. The mentoring would have been a more, um, even if we had like been paired with those, like say I had been paired with queer post scholars and they were there. And I had like a tea time. I keep saying tea. It's like I have high tea all the time. I don't, everyone. Um, But like a coffee time. Um, And like we actually got to sit down, like who was also doing environmental work, who also was like reaching outside of Poe to other 20th century authors. Jess could have been paired up with Maria and like more of those like historical analyses. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, like a mentor program. I love it, Ashley. Um, (laughs) 
Um, how about, you know, you, Maria, is there something like the takeaway you had about if you ever, you know, went back again that you would want to say? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a great question. And I'm <laughs> the, all, the dreaming, um, the dream situation at the conference would be, um, this you know, editor from the great journal or like great publisher comes up to me and say, hey, I listened to your, you know, <laughs> um, presentation and I think you're a genius and I'll publish anything you write. So here's the $5 million in contract. You know, that's, <laughs> I love that That's idea. my dream situation, Beaut right? Beautiful. <laughs> that sounds Beautiful. good. Beautiful. I'll take a $5 million <laughs> deal for writing. Yeah. For books. So um, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> well, it didn't but, happen, but maybe but I in the agree. future. Like the next step for publishing, because like that was my, like where I'm heading with this work, because it's not my dissertation. It's not going to end up in a book that I work on, which I want to have my dissertation go more to um, a public audience. Like, you know, not just a university. I like university presses, but I like some mm -hmm. kind of imprint that's more public facing. Um, but I really would have loved, um, I know there was like a publishing panel, which is good, but I think if we could have had more, if there could be more times to meet, like, mm. and not just like networking over food. It's kind of like what Ashley's saying about mentoring. Like if there had been like open hours, I don't know exactly how to do it, but like more sit down opportunities. That's, you know, not like you're in an office, but um like more times to just like maybe make an appointment with someone who's the, you know, editor in chief of post studies. Like that would have been wonderful to just be like, well, I'm trying to pitch this. How shall I go about this? You know, cause there are ways, like sometimes you send your paper to those who have published there before and they give you tips. It's like learning these insider secrets. And, yeah, I will. I will yeah. say, Andrew, um, I probably got the best insider secrets for this conference on the bus ride to Providence, Rhode Island, because we were all stuck on the bus together and there was nothing to distract us. And uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Athenaeum in Providence. Such a cool library. Please go check it out. Oh, I heard that was amazing. Oh, I got to do that next time. Um, <laughs> also, there was an amazing walking tour. Um, oh, my. The co-organizer of the conference. I'm drawing a blank but I will figure it out. Maybe related to that, um, earlier you asked, Andrew, um, yeah, yeah. what do you think the general public hears when you say you're going oh, to yes. literary conference? Yes. What right? do you think they I hear? really love that. I really love the question because I, in my mind, maybe people would think we are going to like literary festivals um, where we meet really cool authors and get autographs and talk and get to talk to them. Or I thought maybe like Comic-Con or uh, Renaissance Fair. You know, when we show up and dressed up in really cool costumes and like, hey, I'm Edgar Allan Poe or like, hey, I'm um, Mr. Darcy or like, you know, those, <laughs> it'll be cool. You'll be fun. Mm -hmm. Or like Americanson or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you're right. I, um, oh, so the um, walking tour was organized by um, Paul Lewis. So shout out to Paul. But yeah, Maria, kind of like Comic-Con. I do, I agree. I think a lot of people think creative writing and that does happen with creative mm -hmm. writers where like you can meet Margaret Atwood. You can meet, um, I keep, let me see, others. Jillian Flynn, I don't know. I'm just gonna like throw out names now. But um, you can meet Celia Lasky who's been on this podcast. I should like only use people I've interviewed. Um, <laughs> but 
Yeah, those are awesome opportunities. And in a way, you know what? That would be a really cool thing to see is I don't think we have opportunities like that in academic conferences, like where you just meet the writers and like take, I don't know if we want to take, uh, you know, selfies with them. But I would say like my takeaway, you know, is I kind of wish there was more, I don't want to call it like a red carpet, but if there was a way to like kind of combine that, um, what happens in more like entertainment spaces? Like sometimes I wish, mm-hmm. you know, can there be like a room for interviews? Like, do they have someone they're going to like, do they have a podcaster who's going to share out the interviews? Like maybe people can have sit down panels and they're recorded and there's like the audio goes out on some channel that the conference wants to collaborate with. Like those kinds of opportunities could be cool. And I also think like building social media around the conference. Like I was, I know a few of us, we were doing a lot to share on Twitter, but it's like, you know, someone has to manage that. And it would be great to keep that as an archive because then if you keep using this hashtag, anytime you go on Instagram or Twitter, it's now saved. Like it's all there. So like those opportunities, I would love to see, you know, cause again, it's, not it's in my opinion it shouldn't be a one and done like this is something that we should all now use even when we teach these texts like i can't think of the fall of the house of usher now without thinking of fungi and bacteria and ashley's work you know like that to me is what a conference is about is learning these different lenses right like Mm -hmm. even like now when i see dueling i'm like oh maria is really into the history of dueling (laughs) Or, you know, with Philip K. Dick, that's not an author who's really on my radar, but now I'm open to it. So, wow, we covered a lot. I feel like everyone out there, you know, whether you're consider yourself in academia or just a gothic lover of Poe or you're from one of these organizations, I think there was something for everyone. And that was why it was great to bring this to you all. And, you know, Hopefully, maybe some of our suggestions we eventually see. And I know each of us would be happy to, you know, think through that. Especially, I'm still thinking about this mentoring. I think that's, you're onto something, Ashley, about this mentoring idea. Um, hashtag Poe Mentors 2023. Yes, hashtag <laughs> Poe Mentors 2023. Oh my, I love it. Okay, well, hopefully I will see the three of you somewhere again in person. Uh, maybe it will be at a Poe conference. Um, maybe we'll have a panel about, um, you know, bringing our work to the public, public humanities panel. <laughs> I'll pitch it. How, um, how to make a podcast. Ooh. Oh, is sorry. that what it would be called? The podcast? All right. I had, I had to do it. I'm sorry. I like it. Oh my gosh. I'm sure. Yeah. We could have like a field day about wordplay with a uh, Poe, but, um, Edgar Allan podcast. Hmm. I don't know. I'll think. We'll think about that one. Uh, Your next project, Andrew. I don't know. Uh, let's see. What's the uh, dollar sign? <laughs> that's where I am right now. We have to make boundaries in our lives, everyone. And that's another thing about getting paid for your work. But that's a whole, especially with academic Another writing. episode. Yeah. 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 Um, getting paid for academic writing, an important tutorial. Um, okay. Well, thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Maria. 
Ah, oh, this is wonderful. I'm so glad that we did this. Yeah. Me too. And Thank you for having us. Thank, Thank you. And Thank happy you, Ivory Tower, Boiler Room. Oh. <laughs> well, it's great for you to be here. Can't wait for you all to be back again. You know what? We have a lot to continue with academia. So I'm sure, you know, we'll bring this to the public in another season. Um, but yeah, please reach out to, you know, look at Ashley, Mar Jess and Maria. I have all of their like Instagram or Twitter or whatever they've provided in the show notes. Connect to them, you know, make sure you see what they're up to because it's a lot of exciting work. And yeah, happy fall, everyone. <laughs> Now that is how you ring in the Halloween season, everyone. Um, this is not the only Edgar Allan Poe episode. I have another one coming out soon. Let's just say we're going to be um, spicing Poe up a little with some homoerotic discussion. I'll leave you on a teaser. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, so get ready. Uh, and um, just to remind you all, if you want to see the unedited video of this episode of The Haunting of Edgar Allan Poe and all of our videos, all of our episodes, our audio episodes, they're also videos. So go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Join at $5 a month and you get all of our video episodes. You also get bonus episodes, which include Mary. She has true crime and academia episodes that are deep dives that are only on Patreon, like John Benet Ramsey and um, the Charles Lindbergh baby kidnapping episode. She just did Slender Man for all of you Slender Man Halloween fans. Uh, she actually looks into the real case. So again, patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Join at the price of a nice coffee. And we really appreciate it. We love you all there on Patreon. And we also interact with you all on Patreon. So also join our social media um, and DM us. We love your DMs. Please um, rate and review the podcast on Apple. Give us a rating on Spotify. We really appreciate that as well. It helps us with the algorithm on podcasts, um, placing on the charts. So thank you all for doing that. Um, also, thank you to the fall interns who are amazing here from Stony Brook University. We really appreciate you all. And um, thanks to Mary. Thanks to Kim. I have such an amazing team. So I also can't wait to see some of you at the Halloween party, some of you at the Real Housewives trivia night. It's just all these events. I can't wait to see what else happens. Who knows? Maybe the Ivory Tower Boiler Room will be hosting a gay singles night. I don't know. Just saying. Well, I'll definitely attend that event. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everyone, and enjoy the spooky season. <laughs>